0: Well, we are, are starting a series this morning that we've called Goals, and uh, as we look at the year 2020, a lot of you maybe have New Year's resolutions. Just curious, how many of you have New Year's resolutions that you've already not kept? I'm just curious. Anybody, some of you? Good, good. My people that did that, I'm just kidding. I, I, didn't, I have some New Year's resolutions that I will not share with you because some of them are better left unshared. And uh, I won't share them with you, but we all have resolutions or goals that we have in life. And uh, sometimes the new year is a good opportunity to, to make new goals and, and to set goals. Uh, and we probably all have goals that we've accomplished and probably have all had goals that we have fallen short on accomplishing as well. I remember from a very young age, one of the, the dreams I had from a very young age uh, when I was a kid was to play baseball, professional baseball. It's about the size bat I would still need, probably. But I, I wanted to play professional baseball for the Cleveland Indians. How many of you are Indians fans out there? Yeah, I remember as a kid, I, I would uh, kind of have that in mind as a goal, kind of have that as something like, one day I'm gonna play in the major leagues. And, uh, and I had a few, uh, few shortcomings, um, some obvious and <laughs> some maybe not as much, that prevented that, but uh, I just didn't have the skill to do that. And so that goal didn't really happen. When I was in high school, I had a goal when I went to college that I wanted to play college basketball and uh, practiced and tried really hard, and and then was told by the coach in um, not as brutal of words, but you're too short and too slow to play college basketball, and uh, so that was another goal that I had that didn't really come about. Uh, Those are tough when those things don't happen. Now, in high school, I also met a lovely young girl uh, at the time. Her name was Shoshana. Lee Bungard, and I remember after my sophomore year, during my sophomore year, telling my dad as I was driving to basketball practice, uh, I wasn't driving, he was, I was only 15, and um, I told him, dad, that's a girl that I want to marry, and I have my wedding picture here, you can't really see it, Uh, I have a, a great head of hair here. Uh, hairs on point in that picture right there, and uh, i my wife looks the same. I look a little different <laughs> than I did in the picture um, it was a little thinner there, a little younger looking lots of hair and uh and that was a good day but that that was a goal of mine was i I wanted to be married I wanted to to find the woman that God would would have me to marry, and I set a, a goal when I was a sophomore, if that's the girl I want to marry, and God was very gracious in, in allowing that to come to pass. Um, we're familiar with those, those kind of goals. Uh, after graduating high school, I had a goal. I, I wanted to graduate college, and and uh, after graduating college, I wanted to get my master's degree, and I did both. My bachelor's and master's degrees are both in this, this tube right here that... Uh, that are pretty valuable and important, but to accomplish those goals, and they're here. If you want to see those later, you can. Not much there, uh, but uh, it, it was a goal I had, and, and there are some goals that we have kind of power uh, to have influence in. There's some goals that we have the ability to have a, a part in and seeing accomplished, and then there are other goals that we might have that in large part are outside of our ability to help, and, and we probably are all familiar with a lot of those things, and I'm not going to say much. Um, I'm just going to hold that up for just a second uh, because we all have those goals that we have that we want to see accomplished that don't come about. But uh, goals, I don't know what they are for you. I don't know what you desire to see happen in your life. I don't know what goals maybe you have set that you've accomplished that you've failed at or that you have hoped beyond all hope to see come to pass in your life. And they just haven't happened yet. They just haven't happened yet. I don't know who said it, but someone famous said it, or some author, or real intelligent person, or at least people think they're intelligent, said uh, that if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. Just think about that for a minute. It's easy for people to, to make fun of or mock people who have goals when they don't reach those goals, but but listen, at least we're striving for something, right? At least we're, we're going after something when we set goals and we work towards a desired outcome or desired end. And, and we can take this series of goals as we start a new year in a lot of different ways. Because there's a lot of goals that we can set in our own personal lives spiritually before the Lord as well as uh, in the world in which we live in and go a lot of different directions as we think about this this goals that we have in mind but our desire our goal in our series on goals would be that first and foremost as believers in Jesus Christ we would put God first would you say that with me put God first so in every area that we talk about over the next four weeks in this series it's a short series we want to be reminded again and again and again of this concept of this question of what if every believer put God first when it came to their goals? Now, that's a great question to ask and a great statement to make, put God first, or what if every believer would put God first in all areas of life? But again, we only have four weeks that we're going to be in this series, and so we wanted to really focus in on this question of what if every believer put God first, specifically, as we look at the next four weeks, in the area of our finances and resources. Now, if you've never been to Maranatha before, you haven't been here in some time, and you think, man, this is it, church. They talk about money. We we haven't had a, a series on money or financial series in quite some time as a church, and we very rarely, very rarely, proactively just bring up Giving, finances, money, as far as in our teaching. When the Word of God talks about it, we certainly do. And when we feel there's a need to be reminded, we certainly do. But as we think about goals as it relates to finances and honoring God and putting God first with our finances and money, only one week of the four weeks are we going to really take a focus and emphasis on what does that look like when it comes to giving, when it comes to honoring the Lord and giving to the Lord in our finances as it relates to our giving to the church, as it relates to giving to the gospel ministry that is at the church. We'll talk about that one week. But we want to talk about this goal or goal of putting God first, of what if every believer put God first in their area of their financial resources with our lives. What would that look like? What could that do? I want to share with you some statistics that are kind of alarming. This is coming from uh, Dave Ramsey's website. If you don't know who Dave Ramsey is, check him out. Google him. Grab some of his material and read it. Um, I would highly suggest that. He's just fantastic when it comes to understanding of honoring God with your finances and, and living uh, in freedom in your financial situation. But Americans collectively, Americans o- over one point. Two trillion dollars in student loan debt. The average student loan, and many of you are hit with this that are here, is just under $29,000. The average car loan in America is more than $30,000 for the average car loan. The average credit card balance is more than $15,000. 1.4 billion open credit card Statements are in the United States of America. 1.4 billion open credit cards. Put that in perspective in America. There's like, what, 330 million people in America? There's 1.4 billion open credit cards in America. 57% of households don't have a budget that they operate on with their finances. Some of you might be, to that and be like, what? How is that possible? But that's the reality of the financial situation of most folks that are in America. And so as we look at this area of putting God first in our finances and goals, we want to talk about what it looks like to honor the Lord with the resources he's given to us. And putting God first, which we're going to look at today. We want to talk about what it looks like to have a budget and to honor God in budgeting the resources and finances he has for us. We want to talk about what it means to honor God in our planning and of our resources. We want to talk about what it means to honor God as it relates to our giving to the Lord. And giving of our resources to be used for the furtherance of the ministry of the gospel. And I feel it's going to be a very valuable series, pun intended, valuable series for all of us as we look at putting God first in the area of our finances. We're also going to make available to you some resources, uh, some resources that will be available to you by by way of classes that will be offered. Uh, Some of you have heard of Financial Peace University. It's a class that is offered through Dave Ramsey. We're going to make a class available to our church that would be interested in attending that class. Uh, We have folks that would be interested in sitting down with you if you need to make a budget in your home and figuring out what that looks like and how to do that. We have resources that will be available as it relates to financial planning for your future. Uh, All of these things with the thought and process in mind of honoring the Lord, putting God first in the area of our finances. I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 16 as we kick off this series. Luke chapter 16. We're going to read verses 1 through 13 this morning and you can follow along in your copy of God's word if you have one with you if not just listen as I read in first I'm sorry Luke chapter 16 beginning with verse 1 He speaking of Jesus also said to the disciples There was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions and he called him and said to him What is this that I hear about you Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I want to emphasize that verse, verse 13, at the conclusion of this particular parable that Jesus is sharing that no servant can serve two masters. He will either love, or hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. As an overarching question of what if every believer put God first, as an overarching challenge, even this morning, my overarching challenge this morning, you're going to see it again and again and again in our time this morning, is that you and I as believers truly would serve our one true master, that we would be found faithfully putting God first. In all areas of our lives, that we truly, as followers of Christ who serve our one true living God, that we would faithfully put God first. Say that with me Put God first. It's what God would desire of you and I, it's what God would want from you and I, as believers this morning, that we would be putting Him first in all areas. Of our lives. Now, as you look at chapter 16, when Jesus is going to share this parable of the dishonest manager, I want to set a little bit of context. Understand that when Jesus was sharing this parable, it was one of several parables that Jesus had already been sharing with the crowd and group of people that were listening to him. It's important, and we're going to see why towards the end of the message this morning. But in chapter 15, verse 1 we find the context by which Jesus is sharing all that he's going to share in chapter 15 and then up to chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Look at chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The context to which Jesus is sharing, the next several parables he shares, is in this context, this backdrop of Jesus fellowshipping, eating with, sitting with, talking with, interacting with those that would be known as the sinners, those that would be known as tax collectors and sinners, and also the Pharisees and scribes were there with him, and as usual, what are the Pharisees and scribes doing? They're complaining about Jesus. Jesus. As usual, what are they doing? They're looking at all that Jesus is doing and they're pointing out all of the things that Jesus is doing in their minds, incorrectly or wrong. And it just so happens that the one that they're focused on in their grumbling right now is that Jesus is prioritizing even the least of these. Jesus is prioritizing meeting, eating, and dining, and interacting with those that nobody else in society would deem important. He's eating and teaching and healing and ministering to those that in society's eyes were worthless. They were the worst of the worst, and yet Jesus was ministering to them. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew the Pharisees' hearts. He knew their minds. He knew their complaining. And so Jesus, knowing this backdrop, then goes into his parables. And I love how verse 3 of chapter 15 begins. It says, so he told them. Okay, so it makes me this, it gives me this understanding that the direct reason Jesus is sharing the parables that he's about to share is in response to the reality of the Pharisees complaining that he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. He's eating with these ones that no one should. And it says, So, knowing this, so he told them this parable. And what Christ is going to do. In all these parables, he's going to emphasize how important and necessary the things of of eternity are over the things of this world. He's going to emphasize that again and again and again and again. And he's even going to emphasize that in the passage before us this morning in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13 of the reality of eternity. So I want to make several points this morning. Actually, four points. I want to make from the passage this morning. Point number one, believers in Christ should be focused on pleasing the Lord. Believers in Christ should be focused on pleasing the Lord. Look at the passage, verses 1 and 2. Jesus tells him this parable, and he begins by saying, there's this rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He called to him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be management. Here's what's going on at the outset of this parable. There is a master, there is someone who has possessions and he has a manager who is in charge of managing that which belongs to his master. His job, if you will, is to manage the resources that don't belong entirely to him because they're not truly his, they're his masters. And he's not managing them properly. You kind of get the feeling that this manager was being lazy, he wasn't being diligent in managing these resources, he was not taking that which was his master's and doing anything with it that would prove to be profitable for his master, and so the master calls him back, and he's like, hey, listen, I'm about to take back all that was yours that you were managing and give it back to myself because you're not managing it well. Now, don't miss that Jesus is going to emphasize in this very parable the reality that you and I And all that we have been given by God are the resources that God has given to us to manage not for ourselves, but for him. Don't miss this. Believers in Christ, and specifically in the parable, with the resources, the wealth, the resources that God has given to us are directly responsible to be focused on using those things and managing those things, not for ourselves, but in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. We should be putting God first in our management of that which God has entrusted to us. Now some of you are sitting here today and you know this, that some of us have... have a certain amount to manage, and some of us have far less to manage, or some of us have far more to manage, but I wonder, how are you managing, how am I managing the resources that God has entrusted to us? How are we managing those things? Because so often, we can take what God has given to us, take that which God has provided for us, and put such a laser focus on ourselves that God is completely removed out of the picture when it comes to honoring him with our finances. So much of what God has entrusted to us, we feel, is for us. For our enjoyment. For our pleasure. For our goals. For our dreams. For our wants. For our desires. For our needs. are not for God's desires. For God's goals, for God's glory, for God's honor, and we can be guilty so often of not only not putting God first, but putting ourselves first, in what it is we do in managing those resources. You know, as I approached Christmas this past year, I had the puzzling thought in my mind as I do every year, and that is what to get my wife for Christmas, and uh, I, I'm, I sometimes will go and I'll go shopping and I'll look and I'll be like, I think she would like this, or I think she would like this, or I think she would like this. And I'll buy it and I'll wrap it and I'll bring it to her and she'll open it up and I'll, I'll be watching to be like, all right, I'm going to read her face when she opens it. She'll be like, oh, that's nice. You know, and, and I'm like, she hates it. Like I right away know that when she gives that kind of response. But then there's other gifts that when I buy them that she opens them up. And when she opens them up and I can tell right away and she was like, You're the greatest husband in the world. Like you could tell, and it's like, yes! Like when you get the right gift, right? You just know that you got the right gift. But uh, just a word of advice. For men, if you're going to buy your wife something for Christmas, a word of advice. When you're looking to buy your wife something for Christmas, don't look to buy something for her that you want (laughs) or that you would really like. (laughs) Look to buy your wife something that she would want And that she would really like. Because if you're buying a gift for your wife, and when she opens it, her first response is, you only bought this because you like it or you wanted it. You've bought the wrong gift, okay? And some of us have done that, or you're guilty of that. But when you're buying a gift for someone, and you're going to give something that's going to be a gift to them, you want to buy it with them in mind. It would not be meaningful to my wife If I bought her a pair of shoes that were for me, okay, it wouldn't be meaningful for her. It wouldn't be meaningful if I was like, hey, honey, listen, I love you. You know, Merry Christmas, Buffalo Bill sweatshirt. That's not even my size. It's not, okay, I'll wear it. That is not a meaningful gift. That's not the right motive or intention when buying someone a gift that should be about them, right? It should be about them. While I feel like we are dangerously close as believers to in many ways as we look at our resources and finances that God has given to us and the way that we use them, the way that we budget them, the way that we plan them, the way that we uh, expense them, aren't we guilty sometimes of expensing that which doesn't truly even originate or belong to us and which should not be all about us, aren't we guilty sometimes of making those things all about us? And is that really any different than the situation I just described to you with Christmas? Taking the resources that really truly don't belong to me, that truthfully should not be about me, that truthfully weren't given to me just for me, and yet fully utilizing those, spending those, budgeting those for purposes and goals that are all about me. We can be guilty of that, can't we? And believers in Christ need to be focused first on pleasing the Lord with all that God has given to us. Put him first. Sometimes we can even translate this over into our relationships. Sometimes we can translate this over into our employment. We can translate this over into so many areas of our lives where it is so easy to be working for someone else. And it's so easy in a relationship to make decisions that are based upon the acceptance or the desires of someone else. It's easy to be able to manage and utilize things that are in our disposal for the, for the enjoyment of, or the glory of someone else. And oftentimes we can even make these things out to be idols in our lives because we even put them at an elevated spot above even the Lord. But that should not be true of us as believers. As believers in Christ, we should be focused on pleasing the Lord and putting God first. Secondly, I think we have seen the passage that believers in Christ should be prioritizing the things Of eternity. You've heard us share this before in other messages that we should be prioritizing the things of eternity. In verses 3 through 8, the manager comes to a conclusion after being told by the owner that I'm going to take away from you what I've given you because you've mismanaged it, he comes to this reality, he comes to this conclusion that he needs to be thinking about not just right now, but he needs to plan ahead. He needs to be thinking about what will be true of him when he no longer has his position of managing that which is his in the present. And so what does he do? It says that the manager thought to himself, I, I, my manager is going to be taking away from me these things. I'm not strong enough to dig I'm ashamed to beg, verse 4, so I've decided what to do. When I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. This is what he says. In view of what needs to happen next, in view of what's going to come place next, I need to act and live and respond now in a way that is beneficial for me, not right now, but for me tomorrow or the next day or down the road when I no longer have the position I currently have. He becomes shrewd in his dealings. And what does he do? He goes to those that owe. And he says, hey, listen, you owe 100 no longer. You owe 80. And he goes to someone else. He's like, hey, you owe this much? Nah, instead of that, just write a check for this, and it's forgiven. And what he's doing is he's acting in such a way as prioritizing for himself that which will come rather than that which is in the here. And now. And yet, it is so true for you and I, as believers in Christ, that we too should be prioritizing the things of eternity, of that which is to come. Because listen to me, and you know this if you've experienced the death of a loved one. You know this if you've lost someone that has been hurtful that you thought you'd have longer. You know this if you have a job that you thought would always be there but now it's gone. You know this if you thought you had financial security but guess what, the next day it was removed from you or your health was gone. You know this, that here and now, right now, today, tomorrow, everything can be different. And what happens then? And we need to consider and understand that when this life ends and we wake up in eternity, what is there for us then? And Jesus is going to emphasize this here. This shrewd manager is going to take all that he has and he's going to be giving a discount to those that are owing these, these finances, he's going to give him a discount. Why? Because he's making preparation for his well-being when he no longer has the management that he currently has for his master. In verse 8, the master will commend, verse 8, the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And look at what Jesus says. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. They're more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. He'll go on in verse 9 to say, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Jesus puts an extreme emphasis in this passage of utilizing, he says, unrighteous wealth. That which is all, all of the resources that God has given to us in this life by way of material things, by way of money, by way of all of the possessions and things in this life, Those are unrighteous, unrighteous wealth. In other words, they are those things that are not holy. They are those things that are not going to be taken into eternity. They are those things that will ultimately be burned up. But for some reason, God has entrusted those things to us in the here and now. And the emphasis that Jesus is going to place in this parable, even for the believer in Christ, is that there will be a prioritizing of utilizing unrighteous wealth, even the things that God has given to us that are of this world, in response to what will wait for us in eternity. I wonder, do we have that mentality? Do we have the focus and mentality to put God first by prioritizing, even in our finances, the things of eternity? Is that true of us? Is that true? My wife and I got engaged when we were in college. And I remember as we were planning the wedding while in college, uh, there were a lot of details that, I'm just going to be honest, about the wedding I didn't care about. Okay? Flowers, I didn't care. Uh, Decorations, didn't care. Uh, The reception, didn't really care. Honeymoon, I cared. And so as as we planned all of these things and as we looked at planning all these things, I took direct responsibility to plan the honeymoon and to to make that sucker happen. And so uh, what we did for our honeymoon is we went on a a cruise with Royal Caribbean to the Eastern Caribbean and went to the Bahamas and St. Martin and St. Thomas, and and it was just gorgeous. It was beautiful, um, unlike any places that we had been. And uh, as I planned the honeymoon and wanted to get a a good room, wanted to get the balcony room so that we can go out and look at the ocean together and just such a romantic time that could be had there. I I planned all this, and as I was planning it, the money that was required to do it just kept going up and up and up and up because it costs money (laughs) to do these things. And so as a broke college student who was working full time paying for school and living, and also training, tr- trying to save and plan to pay for a honeymoon, I had to make a decision to do without certain things that I otherwise would want to have so that I could delay that spending because of what I knew would be coming down the road. You know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had to put money aside or save money for a vacation, if you've ever had the budget for a repair on your house, If you know you got to replace your roof and you know it has to be done next year and so you start budgeting and planning and saving, you know what it means to begin to look at the current financial situation you have through the lens of what you know needs to be paid down the road. And so we respond accordingly. Sometimes that means that we're not spending money on certain things that we otherwise would spend it on because there's something more important and valuable that we know we need to have the money available for down the road. There's a a term for that that they use so often when it comes to budgeting, when it comes to finances, and that's just delayed gratification when it comes to finances, that you would delay ultimately the gratification of buying this or buying that or having this or having that because something is far more valuable and important that you're waiting on. And I believe that's the mindset that Jesus is emphasizing here for the believer in Christ that we would be prioritizing the things of eternity, the things that are to come in eternity with our finances, putting God first, because those things of eternity are so much more valuable than the things that are presently here and now. I hope that makes sense. I hope that that's clear, that Jesus is, is saying even when it comes to unrighteous wealth or that which is going to be burned up ultimately, which you're not going to take any money with you when you die. You're not going to take your car. I'm not going to take my car. I'm not going to take my house. Praise the Lord right now because my house needs all kinds of work. We're not going to take anything with us when we die that is offered from this world. But are we utilizing that which God has given to us, putting Him first? for the things of eternity. Number 3, believers in Christ should be storing up treasures in heaven. This kind of goes hand in hand with the second point of prioritizing that which is of eternity. But believers in Christ should be storing up treasures in heaven. Verses 9 to 12, Jesus will goes on to talk about use, using the wealth that God's given for eternal Glory for eternal reward. And he says in verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? Well, what is it that Christ would value and, and characterize as true riches? True riches in the, minds of Je- in the mind of Jesus Christ are not the riches of this world, but they are the riches of eternity. True riches in the sight of God, true riches in the sight of Christ are those things which are eternal. And by the way, they're sitting all around us today. Because you have in your hand one thing that is eternal, that is the word of God and you have sitting directly next to you something else that is eternal, and that is the souls of men. And Jesus emphasizes here that if you cannot be trusted, if I cannot be trusted as managers with that which is not truly valuable, that which is truly not wealth, because money in this life really is no wealth at all, because listen, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It does nothing for you for eternity. He says, how then can you be trusted with true riches? How can you be trusted with the the treasures of heaven? If you've not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, how can you then be trusted with the true riches? I wonder, are you faithful today? Have we been faithful? Have we been faithful in putting God first with the resources and finances that God has given to us. For so many of us, we don't recognize this reality and this truth, but I have to make this point, that the resources that we have, the wealth that we achieve or gain, the resources that God gives to us, all of that is not and should not be the end goal. That is not the end goal. They are simply resources for an end goal. They're to be utilized for an end goal. For the glory of Jesus Christ and for the treasures that we can lay up in heaven. But sadly, so many times, even as believers, aren't we guilty of making wealth, possessions, and resources the end goal? If the reason you are working today is just so that you can achieve personal wealth, you may achieve it, but it's not going to last long for you. And you may be wealthy your entire life, this side of eternity, but in comparison with eternity, that will not last long. If your end goal is to use the phrase from many years ago, people would say this, is to die with the most toys, that might happen for you, but you will still die. And you will wake up in eternity. And what then? What then? Are we treasuring the things of heaven? Are we putting God first as we pursue eternity? Number four, believers in Christ should be clearly serving their true master. Jesus will end this parable by saying no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Believers in Christ should be clearly serving their true master. This only is seen as we put God first. Have you ever been in a store before and you happen to be in the store and you just happen to maybe be wearing something that is similar to the uniform people wear in that store? Um, I used to work at Eckerd Drugstore when I was in college. Worked full time there as an assistant manager, and, and I, our, our dress code was khaki pants and a blue uh, polo shirt. Uh, and so that's what the dress code was for working there. And so I remember having not worked at Eckerd for some time, going into Eckerd Drugstore, and I just happened that day that I went in there to be wearing khaki pants blue polo shirt tucked in. And I remember I was walking in a store and someone came up to me and they're like, excuse me, can you help me? And I was like, oh yeah, what can I do for you? And you're like, do you guys know if you have any of this in stock? And I'm like, do I look like I work here? Yes, I did at the time because I was wearing the uniform that would show that I worked there, but I didn't. People made a mistake. They come up to me and they're like, do you work here? Maybe you've had that happen. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, try it sometime on purpose. Just wear the clothing and see how many people. It'd be fun, do it. And, and so, but, but here's the reality. Too often, as believers in Christ, the way that we live and the way that we look would identify us with the world and not with Christ. I wonder if we were to put our budget in front of someone who doesn't know Christ, if we were to look at our spending, if we were to look at our priorities in our spending, if we were to look at the priorities of our goals how would they differ from the one that doesn't know Christ? How would our priorities and our goals and our spending and our finances and our time and our our efforts and our work, how would it look differently than those that do not serve the same master that we do? Would they look more like us as believers or would we look more like them as unbelievers? I think it's a question that needs to be asked today because clearly Jesus is making a point at the end of this passage. We cannot serve God and money. We cannot serve God and money. You can't do both. So let me ask four questions as we close. Number one, what needs to change today about our spending? What needs to change today about our spending so that our spending will reflect that we value the things of eternity over the things of this world? What needs to change about our spending to reflect that we put God first as believers? Number two, what needs to change about our investing? When I say investing, I don't just mean stocks and bonds. I don't just mean stock market. I mean, what needs to change about our investing as it relates to not only our finances but our, our living. Our work, our time, our efforts, our focus, our goals. What needs to change today about our investing? Number three, what needs to change about our focus? Why we're living the way that we're living and who we're living for. And what needs to change today about our service? When you wake up every day, does it come to your mind who you are serving that day? Because you and I will choose to serve someone that day. So, who are we serving? And what needs to change? When you look at chapter 15 of Luke, after Jesus responds to the Pharisees that were grumbling against him, Jesus tells the parable of a lost sheep in chapter 15. In verse 7, he summarizes it by saying this, so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He'll go on to share the parable of the lost coin, beginning in verse 8. And in verse 10, he, he will bring a conclusion. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The prodigal son, he'll summarize in verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this young brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And Jesus will summarize this last parable in this series of parables In verse 13, by saying you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God and money. He'll summarize all of these things by placing an emphasis on what really matters. The glory of God and the value of the souls of men for all of eternity. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things. And they ridiculed him. Don't miss this. Just listen to this. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Listen, if you're here today and you just love money, then you've probably listened to everything I've said and you've thought to yourself, who is this guy to tell me what I should do with my money? You've probably thought in your mind, here we go the money talk. Or you've thought in your mind, I don't care, I'm not changing anything because it is about me. You would be in the company (laughs) of the mindset that the Pharisees had here when they heard this. Why? Because they were lovers of money. They heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Don't miss this for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Would you let that sit in your mind as I let it sit in my mind over this next week? What is exalted among men is is an abomination in the sight of God. He is directly talking about money. The love of money that is so exalted among men but is an abomination in the sight of God? Might you and I as believers in Christ be different? Might we put God first? Let's make that our goal. Let's make that our goal in all areas of life. Let's make that our goal with the finances and resources that God has entrusted to us so that he might be glorified. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to know today there is more joy in heaven when a sinner repents of sin and trusts Christ as savior. And that is more valuable in the sight of God than any accumulation of wealth will ever be in this life. And so if you are here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you don't even know what that's all about please do not leave without coming and asking me how you can have that relationship with Christ today. Because Jesus Christ is available. And he, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who would believe. So do not leave today without knowing Christ. Let's put God first. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for goals that we can set in a new year. I pray that you would help us in all areas of our lives, Lord, to put you first, to value the things of eternity over the things of this world for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name, amen.